Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. studying today reformatory movements of destiny part two part two of our study now remember one of the things that we touched on as we looked at this subject was that we had three compartments to the sanctuary does anyone remember or I should say let me say three sections to the sanctuary does anyone remember what the first section was the court right Outer court, right? Or the courtyard. Thank you for that. All right. Now, as we go further, actually, before we even go beyond there, in the courtyard, does anyone remember what two articles were there? Altar of sacrifice. The laver, right? Laver of washing. Got it. Okay. So those were the two articles. The altar of burnt offering or the altar of sacrifice and the basin or laver of washing where the priest the purification before he entered into what compartment? The holy place. Now, in the holy place of the sanctuary, what three articles were there? Candlestick. Showbread. Altar of incense. That's right. All right. So we have courtyard, holy place. The last section is? The most holy place. In the most holy place, what major article, I'm going to test you guys then after this to see how deep we can go, but what major article was there? Ten commandments in the Ark of the Covenant, right? Now, does anyone remember, and this is where we might go just a little deeper, what other articles were in the most holy place? Staff of Aaron that budded. Manna. Manna. God's mercy seat. Mercy seat. On top of the ark. Shekinah glory. glory. Okay, yeah, the skin was covering the sanctuary. This is true. There was one more. There's one more. It's called. That's right. Okay, ceremonial laws. One more. There was a, it was like a pot. That's right. Containing the manna, right? Okay, so you guys named all of the articles of the sanctuary. And we went even further um, than, than we anticipated by you guys naming the extra pieces of article in the most holy place. So, as we got a visual of that, one of the statements that I wanted to read to you guys is, what is the purpose of this entire sanctuary? We looked at this last, last time, two weeks ago, and I heard you guys heard a powerful sermon last week of, of the testimony of our brother. And so I am soon to look at that myself to be blessed as well. And so as we go into this further into this topic, what I want us to look at is what is the whole purpose of this sanctuary system? It says Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. To many, it has been a mystery why so many sacrificial offerings were required in the Old Dispensation. That means the Old Testament. Why so many bleeding victims 
were led to the altar. But the great truth that was to be kept before men and imprinted upon mind and heart was this. Without shedding of blood, there is what? Right, no remission of sins. In every bleeding sacrifice was typified the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Christ himself was the originator of the Jewish system of worship. So who was the originator? God in Christ, right? So it says, in which by types and symbols were shadowed forth spiritual and heavenly things. Many forgot the true significance of these offerings and the great truth that through Christ alone there is forgiveness of sin was lost to them. The multiplying of sacrificial offerings, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. They were only a type of him who was to come. So Jesus Christ had the sanctuary service set up to point to who? Himself. That's right. The whole purpose of every animal that was slain. You think that God delighted in the killing of animals? No, he did not. But the purpose was for us to in some way, shape, or form enter into the experience of God at least tasting what it would be like for God to lose his own. For God temporarily to suffer the loss of his own son on Calvary. He wanted to ingrain this in the mind. And when the time came for it to happen, to show that how much he hated it, how much he didn't enjoy the death of animals, when Christ died, what ended? The sacrificial system. It ended, it met its purpose. And so God says, enough. In my son is the ultimate manifestation of the sacrificial system. Right? So does this make sense so far? All right, praise the Lord. So as we go forward now, you guys just named it. We looked at the sanctuary, the outer court, and we saw the courtyard, the two articles there, the holy place, the three articles there, and the most holy place, and we named the articles there. Now, what we're going to look at today is something that I've noticed as I've been studying the different compartments of the sanctuary, and that is that in each compartment, the articles of the sanctuary have been attacked and there have been a counteract movement against that attack to preserve the articles of the sanctuary. So there's been an attack on the articles while at the same time there's been a movement God raises up to protect the articles so that their significance is not lost with time. And especially when the time comes where they have paramount significance. And so we're going to look at ex an example of that today as we look at the courtyard. Now remember, we said the two articles there in the courtyard are what? Altar of sacrifice. Labor of washing, right? All right, so these two articles, we're going to look at what they symbolize today. So the first article we saw last week was the altar of sacrifice, as you guys just mentioned. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 27. You have your Bibles with you. Let's check out Exodus chapter 27. And we're going to see what this 
points to Exodus chapter 27. And as we look at it, when you get there, say amen. Exodus chapter 27, and we're going to look at verses 1 onward. Amen. All right. So it says there, this is concerning the altar of burnt offering, what we're seeing here represented at least on the screen. It says, and you shall make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad, and the altar shall be four square, almost like a cube, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And you shall make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same. And you shall overlay it with what metal? Brass. And you shall make his pans to receive his ashes, because things were to be burned in it, and his shovels and his basins and his flesh hooks and his fire pans. All the vessels there, all the vessels you shall make of brass. And you shall make for it a grate of network of brass. And upon the net, thou shalt make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof. And you shall put it under the compass of the altar beneath, that the net may be even to the midst of the altar. And you shall make staves for the altar, because these things, when they moved, were to be carried. Staves of shittim wood and overlay them with what metal? Brass. And the staff shall be put into the rings, and the staff shall be upon the two sides of the altar to carry it or bear it. Hollow with boards shalt thou make it. As it was showed you in the mount, so shall you make it. So shall they make it. Now remember, when Moses was building the sanctuary... According to the last verse that we just read, he was building it according to what was shown to him. That means there was already a tabernacle in existence before the earthly tabernacle. Moses was just building the earthly after what he saw in the heavens. Amen? So there is a sanctuary where? In heaven. Friends, let no one dissuade you from that truth. God has a sanctuary up there. We, we may not be able to see it, <laughs> but by faith we can hold on to this truth. Now, as we look at this, I need a volunteer for our next verse. Who do I have? All right, Brother Jamil. All right, so the next verse is John 1.29. All right, so we're going to, we, we've seen this altar of sacrifice, but now on the altar of sacrifice, and maybe you guys can't see it right now, but we have here in the altar, and brother Jerry, thank you so much for this. You have the altar of sacrifice, and in the altar, you remember, can you at least name some of the animals that were slain? Sheep, right? Sometimes you had goats, lambs. Sometimes, yeah, if the, person was, if the person was very poor, God made a provision for them to even sacrifice certain kinds of clean birds, right? So you have the lamb, and the fat of the lamb was burned in the altar of burnt offering. 
So the question is, what does this symbolize? The lamb being slain and then burnt or consumed in this altar. Now we're going to hear it today. John chapter 1 and verse 29. Brother Jamil. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Thank you so much. So John the Baptist seeing Jesus the next day, as he sees Jesus under inspiration, John the Baptist says of Jesus, he calls him what? The Lamb of God. Now that should automatically take us back where? To the sacrifice, right? That we're, that we're seeing typified on the screen. So in other words, where did Jesus take away the sin of the world? Where did he begin to do that work? At the cross, right? So therefore, what's that? That precious blood, that precious blood amen. Cleanse us all, cleanse the soul, right? So as we look at Jesus Christ being sacrificed on the cross, we are seeing the ultimate play out of the altar of burnt sacrifice. That's what that lamb being consumed on that altar represented. It was pointing forward to the agony of the cross, the sacrifice of the Son of God on our behalf. Now, when we come to Jesus, he leads us there. Do you know that? When we accept him, he first makes us aware of our transgression, just like he did with the ancient Israelites. They brought the sacrifice because they realized they were sinners in need of grace. And so, in the same way, how many of you have ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Yes, Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, and it's beautiful. He says, before God brings the sinner to Mount Calvary, he must first bring him to Mount Sinai. Because what happened on Sinai? Right, the law was given, right? So as the law is given and it's placed before us, Paul says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Once we realize that we have fallen short of God's glory and we have missed the mark, we've sinned against him, God says, I'm showing you this, but hope is not lost. There is someone that has paid your penalty so that you can be forgiven. That is Jesus Christ. Therefore, he takes us from Mount Sinai and he leads us to Mount Calvary, where we now can appreciate the death of Jesus for our sins. So now what we're seeing here is the first thing that Jesus brings us to. He brings us to the law, recognition of sin. Once we realize our sin and we realize that the law cannot save us, the law then takes us, Paul says, to Calvary where we see, wow, I can be saved. There is hope. Now once we see Calvary, the next step that Jesus takes us to is he says, all right, now that you have accepted me, now that conversion has begun in you accepting me, the next process is he takes us to the place of baptism. And so this is what we're going to read. I need a volunteer for Titus 3.5. Who do I have for that? Titus 3.5. This laver of washing, you can find it in Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21. You have the scripture reference on the screen. 
But we're going to see what this typifies now in Titus 3.5. Who do I have for that? Brother Bobby, thank you so much. Amen. And the word of God reads, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. All right. Thank you so much. So, God saves us by the washing of regeneration, right? Now, this begins, of course, in the heart. It's a spiritual work. The work of the Holy Spirit coming in and changing the human being. Holy Spirit is ever drawing us to Christ all throughout our lives. But the moment we receive Jesus, he is now coming in, taking control of our mental faculties, transforming us, regenerating us. And then leading us to a place where we publicly declare the cleansing that has already begun. Baptism, friends, is not necessarily for the cleansing of the heart. Does that make sense? A man or a woman can go down, as one person says, into the water, a sinner. And when they come up, they come up a wet sinner. All right? <laughs> it's not necessarily that anything has changed. Unless the individual beforehand has been changed by the Holy Spirit. So as the Holy Spirit now works in the heart, he then leads the individual to make a public declaration that that transformation has begun. And that is what baptism is. Baptism is a public declaration of a conversion process that has already begun in the acceptance of Jesus Christ. So right after Christ takes us to accepting his sacrifice, he then takes us to the point where we make that public declaration in baptism. Now question for you, did Jesus ever sin? No. But was Jesus baptized? Yes. Right. So he was baptized. Why do you think he was baptized? So all righteousness can be fulfilled, that's one. Fulfill the scriptures, that's two. And an example for us, that's three. So to fulfill righteousness, to fulfill the scriptures, and as an example to us, we who are sinners, that we would follow in his footsteps and be baptized as a public declaration of a changed life. So this is, these are the two things that Jesus did in his life. He was baptized as an example to us, the labor of washing. And he was sacrificed to take away sin's penalty, which is eternal death, the altar of burnt offering. Now, the question is, was Jesus's, as we're looking at this, these two events of Jesus's life, the baptism and the sacrifice, where did they take place, in heaven or earth? Earth. So that means, friends, the earth, the courtyard that we're looking at here is a symbol of Jesus's earthly ministry. Does that make sense? Right? Because Jesus was baptized on earth and he was sacrificed on earth. So these two articles are a symbol of his work that begun, began on earth. Does that make sense? Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. So the question is now, in light of Jesus's earthly ministry, leading up, yes, to his baptism, and then ultimately after the baptism, three and a half years later, leading up to his death, was 
that earthly ministry attacked. For sure, right? Now, it's interesting. Who attacked Jesus' ministry? Satan, all right? Who else? Who else? Oh, so, so get this. It wasn't, according to what Mr. Bobby said, Brother Bobby said, it wasn't necessarily pagans that was attacking Jesus' ministry. It was his own people. Right? People from the very Jewish system that he had given the oracles and understandings because they had combined those oracles with human tradition. The result was when they saw Christ come along and not go along with their traditions, but go strictly according to the word of God, it was an offense to them. And so they attacked, they made it a goal and their great work to snuff out the life of the Son of God. And ultimately, were there, was their efforts finally accomplished? Did they ultimately kill Jesus, get him killed? Yes, they did. Praise God, however, that was already part of God's plan. <laughs> so they didn't really do anything that could, that could destroy God's work, right? It accomplished what he wanted, and Christ was ultimately raised from the dead. But as we're looking at this, and we're seeing, wow, this was happening, I want us to check this out. The Pharisees and the scribes, the Sadducees, they were attacking the ministry of Christ through their tradition. They were turning the minds, seeking to turn the minds of the people away from Jesus. Ultimately, the people who were not receptive to John's ministry, as we look throughout the Gospels, they were not receptive to Jesus' words. John was sent as a messenger to prepare the people for Christ. But as they rejected John's work, they rejected Christ's work. Now, in attacking that work, did then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law see the significance of the altar of sacrifice? No, because what does the altar of sacrifice represent? Christ dying on the cross. So they would not receive a Messiah that would die for them. They thought that what would the Messiah be? A king, a military leader that would come and free them from the Romans. But did Jesus do that? No, he was coming to free them from a greater enemy, and that was sin and Satan, right? So as they rejected Jesus, they rejected, they, they knew all about, friends, this is the powerful thing about the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In order to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the entire Old Testament. You memorized the entire Word of God up to that time and miss God Himself. That is, that blows my mind. You memorize the Old Testament and miss Him whom the Old Testament prophesied was coming. That means, friends, it is not enough to just memorize the Word of God. We must see Christ in that Word so that we can truly accept him into the heart. So now, in light of that fight against 
the word of God and God knowing that that fight was coming. Here's what we are told. Here's what we are now going to see. God then raised up two movements that would ultimately continue as time would go along. The first movement, in order to prepare the people, and I gave you guys the answer a little bit, in order to prepare the people for the coming of Christ, that first appearance, who did God raise up to prepare the people? John the Baptist. So hence we see John the Baptist and his disciples were part of the first reformatory movement. I thought it was just actually a few people, like two or three people that followed John here or there. But friends, it was a lot of people that were following John the Baptist to the point that later on in the book of Acts, Paul started meeting a few, a good bit of them. And he said to them, he said to them, whoa, so you're, you're following a good bit of the truth. How did you learn about this? And their answer was, John, we heard it from John. We were disciples of his. And so he had a serious movement that was following him. And as Brother Jamil just read, when he saw Jesus, and this is the amazing thing. There are times, friends, when we could prophesy truth and not even understand it. Do you know that? There are times when we can know certain things or say certain things under the illumination of the Spirit and not understand the full import of what we are saying. So one example is John. God raised up John, and John seeing Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But in order for Jesus to be the Lamb of God, what is that telling us would ultimately happen to Christ? He has to die. Now do you know that John, even John, didn't see it. That's why when he was in prison, on the verge soon to be beheaded, he sent his disciples and said, hey, go and ask my cousin. <laughs> All right? Ask him, are you the one that we should expect? Or should we look for another? That's serious. So he had understood certain aspects way ahead of many of his time. But he himself did not understand the full results even of the ministry that he was doing. He was pointing people to the Lamb while not even realize the full import of what it means to be the Lamb of God. What it would take to take away the sin of the world. But this was the first movement. As he was pointing people to the Lamb and he proclaimed Jesus to be the Lamb, it was uplifting what the altar of sacrifice represented. It represented Jesus, the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Now, as we're going through this, friends, does this make sense? Yes. Amen? Yes. All right. Now we're going to go to the next reformatory movement. And you guys probably guessed it. It was right there in the same time. It was Jesus and his own disciples. You remember when Jesus was doing this work, some of the disciples of John, when Jesus showed up, they left John and went with Jesus. So as they're following Christ now, as they're following him in ministry, Christ, not only does Christ do the work, continue the work of John, but take it to the next level. He sends his disciples out. At one point, there are about 70 or more, and he sends them out to proclaim to the people, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. So he's doing the work, but not only is he baptized, 
But Jesus then tells his disciples to baptize people. The Bible says he himself did not baptize, but he had his disciples do baptisms. Now, what article in the sanctuary in the courtyard is that? The laver, right? The laver of washing, right? Which is a symbol of baptism. So we see in Jesus' ministry the uplifting, ultimately as he would die, the altar of, of offering. And we see also the uplifting of the laver of washing, symbol of baptism. So the articles were protected, even though there was opposition to what those articles represent from the very ones who memorized the scriptures. So now we're seeing these two reformatory movements that God raised up to protect the articles in the courtyard. The ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus himself. A mobile ministry going around doing a work of healing and a work of salvation. Now friends, as we continue to study this, we're going to see that exactly what we are seeing here will continue to be repeated all the way to the end of time. You remember who rose up against Christ? The leaders of, of the church at that time, the Jewish nation. The leaders of the Jewish nation, because they had fused the word of God with human tradition, they stood against the word of God incarnate. So remember that because our next study, by God's grace, next Sabbath, will cover another movement in the time of Jesus in the holy place that will fuse the Bible and human tradition to stand against the articles, not now in the courtyard, but in the holy place. Does this make sense, my friends? All right. So praise the Lord that we were able to see this. And so what I would leave us with is this. We must ever start in this place that we covered today. We must ever look, every sinner, in order to progress through the sanctuary, as we are looking at it today, they must ever behold the cross. That is the first thing that the people beheld as they enter into the sanctuary. The cross of Christ in the altar of sacrifice. Our commitment must ever be renewed to that great sacrifice that was given for us. To look to Christ and behold the Lamb of God. And in beholding him, what do you think is going to happen? What, what did John the Baptist say? What happened? By beholding, we become, right? And so in becoming like Jesus, did he have any sin in his life? Therefore, as we behold the cross, the sins in our lives will be taken away. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. May that ever be our life's journey, friends. Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.